Would you please remain standing and join me in reciting the Shema, which our Lord Jesus would have recited every day of his life. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as your stud. Please remain standing for our scripture this morning. We are, as I said, in the 11th chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, after being gone uh, for several weeks, it was nice of David to give me such a light and chipper scripture to return with. Um, Paul does some good slapping around in his epistles, and this passage is uh, surely one of those times. Um, so I apologize for the harsh nature, especially if you're just coming back from summer, and that was the first thing you heard. But there is a lot going on in this passage and in relation to this passage in Corinth. So um, we have a lot to deal with here. As I looked over the scripture in preparation for this morning, I kept coming back to this idea of a dinner party and how we do dinner parties in our current context. I don't know about you, but in my house, we clean up the house to an extent that we haven't cleaned it in a while and sometimes even do minor 
fixes and repairs around the house so that we can honor our guests. We cook a big meal and lay out this plan for what the evening will look like. When our guests come over, the house is picked up and there's usually nice music on in the background and we start with some light hors d'oeuvres and maybe a drink. And then we have the meal at the table, which is set nicely, which is set nicer than we normally do. And then after a nice long meal and conversation, it's not over. You keep your fork and you have dessert. And then after dessert, sometimes you hang around and talk. And I can assure you, this is not how we normally do dinner at my house. But in our South Texas culture of hospitality and honor, when we have a guest in our home, we some ways roll out the red carpet and treat them better than when you would treat ourselves. And I think this is all well and good. But as I looked at the scripture this morning and thought about what Paul is actually addressing with the Corinthians, I don't think this so much reflects that practice of honor and hospitality that I think our Lord shows to us so often. And I thought of what was going on in Corinth and how this could communicate to our current culture. And I thought instead of prizing an honored guest who comes to my house, the situation in Corinth reminded me more of the cafeteria room at the junior high. Go back with me for a moment in your mind when you walk in those double doors and the smell of mediocre cooked food wafts into your nose and you might pick up a tray You might grab a bag of chips, maybe a soda, maybe a slice of pizza. I'm sure you're not eating as healthy as you do in other times of your life. And after you have paid, you turn around to face this landscape of tables, and they're not necessarily always inviting. You're looking for your friends or your group or the people you know, or maybe they're not there and you're looking for a welcoming face and sometimes... That's not there either. And sometimes groups of friends become cliques and become divisions and you have no one to eat with. As I reflected over the scripture for this morning, I think Paul's situation of what he is addressing for the Corinthians is more like the junior high lunchroom than it is when we have honored guests over to our house. See, what's happening here is a reality that in their setting, they don't come to a separate building to have communion. They don't likely have a separate church at all. They meet in people's homes. So when they come to have the communion meal, it is just that, a full meal. And just as Jesus did with the Last Supper, as part of the meal, usually the host celebrates with the bread and the wine and invites people to remember what Christ has done for us. Well, in the context of this dinner party, the Corinthians are living into the normal social structure that they have for dinner parties. So the way this worked is in a central part of their house, they would have what is like for us a dining room table. It's lower to the ground, as you remember from the Last Supper, when John is lounging on the chest of Jesus. And in our eyes, we like to think he can hear the heartbeat of our Lord you would have been sitting on the floor at a low table and taking from that table. And the room wouldn't be that large, so the dining room would likely only seat up to about nine people. So in this environment, the people that would be seated at this table would be the guests, the hosts, closest friends, the honored guests, the ones that the the host knows the best, and then likely those who are of high social structure and high esteem. 
and then down from there. The next room out would fit about 30 to 40 people and likely be able to see into that dining room to observe what's happening in there, but not necessarily taking part. The best and the most food would be reserved for that inner room and these prized and honored guests and the best wine and the most wine as well. And then down in this tiered structure, as you notice, Paul will say some aren't even getting food, those without. And what ended up happening was this social structure, this almost class structure that's going on in Corinth in Corinth is going on at the Lord's table as well. Rather ironic, I would say. That the very table at which our Lord comes to empty himself before he goes to the cross, as Paul reminds us, he left the right hand of the father to come and take on the form of a man, emptying himself of the things of heaven and dwelling among us. And then before he goes, he has this meal with his disciples. As you remember, it's likely the Passover meal. And he's saying, remember what God has done for you. And delivering you out of Egypt, except he makes it about himself. Remember what I have done for you. Remember what I am about to do for you. And the next day when he would give up his life. Ironic that the Corinthians are using this very table where God himself humbled himself before his disciples. Taking off his garments and his clothing and even the towel around his waist. And using that to wash his disciples' feet. The literal act of a servant, God himself incarnate, treating his disciples as honored guests and serving them. And how are the Corinthians twisting this, but doing this to further the separations and the divisions in their social stratus? Now, it's easy to look at this in disgust and say, what in the world were they thinking? How could they do this? But it's not hard to ask ourselves the questions, how do we let the divisions and structures of society trump the call of the rule and reign of God and his kingdom here on earth and how that is so different? See, Paul points out again in this letter, as he has many times before, the divisions that go on in the church of Corinth. And here today, he highlights this social structure between rich and poor and how They are continuing to isolate and divide. And he says, no, no more. We won't have this. He calls them and us back to unity. And he does it with a harsh tongue. You you heard his tone. He has this sarcastic, almost like cutting nature that he begins the letter with. Is this going on? I can believe it's going on. And you need to honor these people. It's this it's this harsh tone. It almost sounds like your parents saying you should have known better than this. Or even worse, you did know better and you still did it. See, the story of the Last Supper and the communion table is something that was passed down through the church. What we're actually getting here this morning is the first written account of this story. The Gospels would have happened before, but would have been written down after this letter of Paul. But this isn't a new story for the church at Corinth or other Believers of that day, this was a central practice to the identity of the body of Christ, of them coming together as beloved children, brothers and sisters of God. As Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. This meal 
of common identity that knits us together as God's beloved and as family with one another. And Paul is calling them out to remind them what they already know, to say, remember what Jesus did on that last night. Remember how he sacrificed for us and remember what he gave of himself and remember of how he emptied himself of all things and served us. And then after he served us and touched us so lovingly, he said, now that I have done this for you, now that you have received this touch from me, now that I have washed your feet, I give you this new command. Go and love one another as I have loved you. This communion table becomes the central identity for the place where we as a family gather together to remember who we are. And we do this, as Paul reminds us, together. There is this division that the present culture of the day brings to the Corinthian practice of communion and therefore how they live out this identity. God comes with this counter narrative to say we are no longer going to live the ways of the world. Divided rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, Jew and Greek. We have these words of Paul's other Letters echoing in our minds as we hear him recount to the Corinthians what they are actually called to do to be unified, to be equal, to be honoring to one another, to have this common table where we all come as common, beloved children of God. And they miss it. They just totally miss it and they fall back into the ways of the world. But as scholars point out, how lucky for us that they are just like us where they miss it. And Paul reminds them again. This is one of the few places that Paul is recounting very specifically for us what is going on at the Last Supper. And scholars recount that without it, people may be free to wonder if Paul's communities were even practicing this fundamental act of identity of a community. There's this benefit from what they are doing, even when they are screwing up. We are reminded that God uses this even for the good. I want to point out a very important part of this passage that is sometimes overlooked or even worse, misinterpreted. Beginning in verse 27, Paul writes, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Many of us are familiar with this passage and have tended to interpret it as before I come to the table, I need to search my heart to make sure I am good with God And if I miss anything, I will be, in a sense, condemning myself. And there is a call in our lives to examine our hearts and to confess things before God. But as we see Paul reminding us so well, this call to come before God is not a call out of fear or condemnation. This table is a table of grace and of welcoming. John Wesley believed that God's communion table was so part and parcel to the transformation of us in our faith that he saw it as one of the means of grace, the ways that we encountered God and came to him, and that through coming to this table we come to know God more and more deeply. Paul is not highlighting for us 
to inspire us in fear that we have to get everything right to come to the table. If that were the case, none of us could come. But it is more the focus on God's grace that he offers us. And then the, the reminder to the Corinthians that this is an act of all of us together. In the context of this overall passage, Paul reminds us we are called here to discern the body, to remember who we are as one family, all beloved children of God. I remind you that scripture calls us, Paul in fact tells us, approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is not a place that we need to come of fear of what we have done, but of joy and delight to lay down these things before the Lord who knows them even before we do them and bids us come and be forgiven. There's a reality here at the table that is so important that we are remembering what God has done in his past through his son. We are looking ahead to what God will do in bringing his son again. And we meet God in the present, the past, the present and the future, all coming together as one at the table, just as we as a body come together. So as you approach the communion rail this morning, I invite you to not come in fear, not come afraid of the things that you have left unconfessed or unknown, or you have failed to seek your, search your heart deep enough to root them out. But come knowing you are loved by God and surrounded shoulder to shoulder with other beloved children who share this same identity as called to the family of God, that we do not come as individuals to be forgiven, that we come as a family who have been forgiven. Remember, it's Jesus who invites his disciples after he has served them and loved them and honored them. Now that I have loved you, being touched and transformed by my love, bring this out into the world as a unified community. As a family, go and love the world like this. When we come to the communion table, we remember what God has done and we look forward to what God will do. But we live today in the present, in who we are and what God is doing in us. And as Paul reminds us, this is a crucial part of our our identity as his beloved children together as a family. This is one of the greatest gifts of God that he offers to us. And today we get to partake of it as we always do, together as one body, one family, the beloved body of Christ. Amen.